Welcome to History Class After Hours. I'm Joseph Bear, and joining me is Eli. Good morning. Woo! Today we have a fun holiday story, because nothing brings up holiday cheer like a good riot over toys. No, nothing. No, that's, that's, that's the... I mean, I guess nowadays you call riot over toys Black Friday, but, you know. But even that's calmed down. Stores, yeah, I store, mean... Stores I mean, have gotten smart in how to manage that. That is but. true. So we are going to talk about the Cabbage Patch Riots of 1983. All right. So by the 1950s, the toy industry had discovered the purchasing power of kids and teenagers. Basically saying, like, these kids can get their parents to buy them things. Wait, it took them until 1953 to figure that out? 1950. Well, there was a lot of stuff going on economically <laughs> in the 20s, 30s, and 40s. So. Okay, I mean, but the 20s were pretty high, though. I mean, like... The early 20s, yes. Yeah. So parents were eager to give their children toys that they themselves could never afford because of the Great Depression, and they wanted to give them a life that they never saw because they grew up in a time where most people did not have a whole lot of spending money. True. Um, so having the right, right toy became a status symbol in the United States for not only the child, but also the parent, because the parent was able to get their kids something rare that everybody wanted, and the child would draw the envy of all the other kids for having the same toy that no one else had. And then they could flaunt it and be like, look what I got. No, you suckers got it. I mean, that's so present today. It's still very present today. Just think of like, I got a new iPhone 48. You're still on the 6. <laughs> PS5. <laughs> yeah. I had a kid tell me my f I have an old man phone because it's a 7. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, we're on like the 12 now. <laughs> with it. So... The trend would start in the 1950s with the original Mr. Potato Head. And if you've seen pictures of the original Mr. Potato Head, I can't confirm it. But from the looks of it, it looks like an actual potato where they just stuck arms and legs into. It doesn't look like the plastic Mr. Potato Head that we all know today. Like in Toy Story? Yes. This looks like a straight up potato that with you put arms? with arms, eyes, and legs that you just throw in there. Did the potato come with it? I, yes. <laughs> But anyway, that was a hot selling item. Um, but because of basic economic principles such as supply and demand, demand is typically higher than supply, which will cause shortages. And so because of the fact that everybody wants to get their hot toy of the season, shortages, because of the shortages, conflict is going to be inevitable as people are competing to get the good that is in short supply. And then there's scarcity. Scarcity. Look at, look at you throwing econ terms out there. I know. These principles can be seen in the classic office episode, Moroccan Christmas, where Dwight <laughs> buys up all the dolls and sells them at a marked up price to what he calls loser parents that are looking to satisfy their kids. It's a great episode if you have never seen it. That is a perfect explanation of, <laughs> of supply and demand. This phenomenon is not a new trend. There have been several toys that have drawn American consumer that have drawn American consumerism into a fury. Uh, when I was a kid, I remember everybody wanted to have a Teddy Ruxpin. If you don't know what Teddy Ruxpin was, it was this creepy animatronic bear that you would put a cassette tape in its back and it would sing to you, and its mouth would move, and you could buy different cassettes for the bear to sing and talk to you. Weird. It was like $100 back then, which was a lot of money. It's like the Build-A-Bears of today? Yes. In 1976, the big gift was My Pet Rock. Okay, yeah, I've heard of that. I've heard of it's that. literally a rock in a box 
That was yep. it. Yep. Yep, I've heard of that. Uh, Nintendo was the first game system that every kid must have back in 1987, so much so that I believe a new movie has been made about it called 8-Bit Christmas, about a bunch of kids trying to get a Nintendo yes. during that Christmas season. Yep. Um, back then, games actually came with multiple controllers and games to play. You didn't have to buy them separately. What a novel feature. Um, since then, whenever new gaming system comes out, it's a must-have, all right? So, like, Nintendo Switch, when that came out, everyone had to have it. The PS5, the Xbox, all that stuff. There's been different variants of Elmo that have been very popular. Me, personally, I think the scariest are the Tickle Me Elbow and the Hug Me Elmo. You remember Tickle Me Elbow? I, I'm, yes. You um, tickle him, he goes, hee! Yeah, those... Kind of creepy. They have a dancing out. one too. The dancing dancing elbow. One. That one's weird. I think one of my kids had hug me elbow. They had like these big like arms that would hug you. It was really weird. The the dolls too that like actually like you know you actually have to feed and stuff. The the, the baby dolls too. Yes, those are kind and of. And they make noise like out of random. Those creep me out yes. too. The creepiest one are Furbies. Do you know oh. what a Furby is? That's... So Furbies came out in 98 and everybody had to have them and they're like an animatronic bird looking thing and they talk to you in demonic tones <laughs> and they like repeat what you say like they, they follow like what you say and so they like their word pattern mimics that. Sounds, they, they have a toy now and it's like they can sync up it's like a bunch of different animals that sync up so you can have one toy say something and then all the other toys will repeat it. Oh, that sounds horrible. But they keep them all together in stores. So needless to say, we have a long history of must-have toys, but nothing compares to the frenzy that a toy in 1983 would start. Uh, today, we are talking about the Cabbage Patch Rides of 1983. So what is a Cabbage Patch doll, you might ask? Have you ever seen one? I have seen a couple, actually. They, like, I've still seen, they still run commercials for them sometimes. Do they really? So I've yeah. seen one or two. Of, like, well, if you grew up in the 80s, everybody had a Cabbage Patch doll. My sister had one. Right. All right. So Cabbage Patch Dow came to the nation's attention in 1983, right when materialism was hitting a new high, because people were generating more and more wealth, and they were looking at ways to spend it. The uh, nation had become fatigued with fancy new dolls. Year before, the hot toy was called Baby Alive. The doll would eat and poop into a diaper. That one. Not sure why you think that's fun to that clean up right dirty there. diapers. I've done it for three children. It's not. That is the weird doll that I was talking about. Baby Alives. Those things are creepy. Those are. That's very creepy. Well, apparently most of the country was creeped out by it too. And they're like, <laughs> we need to get back to normalcy here and just have <laughs> dolls that are dolls. So the Cabbage Patch doll itself was nothing spectacular. Um, some would even call it the ugliest doll in the world. They aren't. The simplicity of the doll, however, is what would draw people to it. Advertising would help as well. Uh, so the doll was the creation of a man named Xavier Roberts in the late 70s. He was an art student and began to experiment with ways to make fabric sculptures. And the techniques he used were hand stitching and quilting. He would then give them human shapes and call them little people. Roberts would then go on to go to craft shows around the country and would eventually begin selling his dolls at what he called Babyland General Hospital in Cleveland, Georgia. The building was actually an old medical clinic that still had a lot of like the beds and supplies still in it. Right. Um, so the intent for the building was to be more of an art gallery than a doll store. Um, sales clerks were to dress as nurses and interact with the dolls. The dolls slept in incubators and cribs. Each doll would also come with a birth certificate and adoption papers. And the first dolls that were sold were real people. 
because he was pulling records from the 1938 Georgia birth records to name the dolls. That's so, creepy. So you, I, so if you have an original like Cabbage Patch doll, it's actually got the name of a real person. See, that would make me feel weird to know that I actually have somebody's like. If you were born in 1938, actual name. Yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. I guess that like if you were actually born in 1938, then you'd actually go and look for your doll. That'd be interesting. That'd be kind of cool. So Robert would then license the doll to toy manufacturer Coleco in 1982. This is when he would officially change the name to Cabbage Patch Dolls. This was based off the childhood fable that new babies were picked from cabbage gardens. This discovery legend was even written on every product. It said Xavier Roberts was ten, a 10-year-old boy who discovered the Cabbage Patch Kids by following a bunny bee behind a waterfall into a magical cabbage patch where he found the Cabbage Patch Babies being born. To help them find good homes, he built Babyland General in Cleveland, Georgia, where the Cabbage Patch Kids could live and play until they were adopted. The doll had been developed at a near-perfect time. New production techniques allowed for no two Cabbage Patch dolls to be alike. The dolls would vary in skin color, hairstyle, clothing, smiles, freckles, and dimple location. And then the names would begin to be randomly generated by a computer. Right. So they are able to make a lot of a very, variety, a, a very diverse amount of cabbage patch. I mean, that's going to sell well too, because mm-hmm. you know most dolls nowadays, you know, Barbies, they all look the same. Mm-hmm. So having variety is cool. The marketing campaign for the doll is what would really push it to the national spotlight. In the press packet, Coleco would include testimony from children's psychologists that endorsed the doll. They even went as far as saying that it conjured a releasing mechanism that plays on humans' nurturing instincts. And basically, by having this doll, your children will be like more nurturing and nice. Okay. I, I mean... Parents ate that up. Of course they did. Inside of the box that the dolls... Um, inside the box that the dolls came in, basically, the way the doll was positioned, it looked like they were reaching out to the potential buyer... To, like, give them a hug. This is all really smart marketing. It's very smart marketing. Like, like the marketing on this is great. Mm-hmm. Adoption papers were also visible to the would-be buyer. That's also a good marketing for So then to start the publicity tour, um, an event was held at a children's museum in Boston. Kids were allowed to play with the dolls, and a mass adoption ceremony was held in front of the cameras. Um, from there, dolls were sent to every major media outlet and women's magazine in the country. The doll would even have a five-minute feature on the Today Show, which is big time. That is big Because time. a lot of people watch the Today Show in the morning. Daytime television is huge in America. Mm-hmm. So, what happened, though, was retailers are going to be completely unaware of the storm that was brewing. Early Christmas shoppers were buying, on average, three dolls each. Stores had severely underordered their stockpiles. So before Thanksgiving, stores are already starting to run out of these things. Yeah. By October 6th, Coleco would announce that all two million dolls that it made were already sold. That's, and they haven't even hit Black Friday yet. That's not good. Newsweek is going to declare by Thanksgiving what had been sellouts became the great cabbage patch panic. Uh-huh. People who could not find dolls in their local stores began traveling to other towns. Before you know it, there was like a cabbage patch horde going from town to town looking for dolls. Like I mean, the great zombie horde. I'm of... not going to lie to you. When, when, <laughs> when a news organization calls it a panic, it's going, it's going to be bad. Yes. It's... 
And once again, this is well before social media, well before internet shopping, and right. you're just going out word of mouth at this point. It's just... Yeah. In Charleston, West Virginia, 5,000 people would show up to a store which only had 120,000 stock. Oh Violence gosh. would erupt. Managers would try to stop the chaos in stores by stocking the dolls in the front of the store, because typically toys are... In the back. In the back. Or if you're Walmart, in the front, right? This, in turn, would cause stampedes as stores would open with people fighting to get their hands on a doll. That may not have been the smartest idea. No, to place and right you had these like, poor people that were just doing like normal shopping and then just getting plowed I mean, over by the great cabbage patch at horde. At least if they're in the back, you know, you keep everything contained in the back. Everything else is up front, so the regular customers are fine. Mm-hmm. But if you're right up front, then goodbye. <laughs> People would rip dolls off others' hands without even looking at the doll itself. In some instances, people were even biting each other. <laughs> so, so they like someone would have the box and someone would start biting like their wrists, so they'd let okay. go of it and ripping off. Okay, like I, <clears throat> I'm not gonna say I can understand them for already having violence, but you're biting people you don't know. Yeah, like, that's that's not okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's straight up Laura that replies. Like, it's that's like, not okay for a doll. Human nature is like, yeah. Um, customers that would be lucky enough to buy a doll were so concerned about their safety walking back to their cars, they often, like, would ask for, like, escorts. <laughs> Yikes. One man would even fly all the way to London because he heard they had dolls there. By the time he got there, though, they were all gone. Oh, yeah, that's a... What? Scalpers are reselling the dolls for $150. In today's standards, that's four hundred and eighteen bucks. Okay, that's still a big issue though. Scalpers today, yes, they are worse. Like with the PS Five, that was a big. The PS Five is a big issue. Also, like Braves, like after the Braves won the World Series, mm-hmm. Braves memorabilia and stuff. Like they they went through. I know somebody went through it and they bought um, all these hats from a store. These hats were like twenty bucks, twenty five dollar hats. They are selling these things for like three hundred dollars now. Not that they're three hundred dollar hats, but because they can, because people are buying them. You just got to stop buying them. Yeah, you really just have to stop buying. Shockingly, this was shocking to me. The retail price was $25 for the doll, which Mm. today's money would be about $65. That's That's a lot of money for a doll. Were they big dolls? No. I always thought they were real small. They are. They're like, yeah. They're They're regular size. A foot maybe, yeah. They're not big at all. At the same time, knockoff dolls began oh, to be gosh. made overseas. They were called flower kids. <laughs> that's, that's the other thing. Knockoff and remakes are... Um, that's something that, like... Yes, it's copyright always, infringement. Yeah, because you can't call it, you know, flower kids. I believe, I believe they were being made in Hong Kong, and I think um, the, the factory in Hong Kong got sued at one point. But I think... The factory in Hong Kong got away with it because the doll was different. The big difference was they lacked a belly button while the Cabbage Patch dolls had a belly button. That's... I mean, the button was like... It was literally just like a button in, on their belly. And But if you had the box, you couldn't see it. God. Hmm. A Wisconsin DJ on air would jokingly say that a B-29 bomber was going to drop 2,000 dolls at Milwaukee County Stadium. Let me guess. People showed up to Milwaukee County Stadium. He told people to bring catcher's mitts. He also said that if you catch one, hold up your credit card quick so we can take a photograph and charge you for it. People would actually show up to the event holding their credit cards up in the air, waiting for a World War II era bomber to drop $2,000 <laughs> at them. 
Um, it was actually extremely dangerous because it was like negative 30, negative 40 with the wind chill outside. My God. People were that desperate to get these dials. What is this guy doing that he's like, this will be funny, watch this. <laughs> like, <laughs> we've, we've had some run-ins with DJs. and DJs are the worst. <laughs> One report even showed a woman gripping her dial tightly, even though another shopper's purse had wrapped around her neck <laughs> and was strangling her. <laughs> and oh every gosh. night, just the media is just portraying the stuff more and more, oh. and it's just, it's just building up the frenzy this even is... more and more. Cops had to be called in the stores to prevent riots breaking out. There's even a video of um, cops at a store, and they have all these dolls in, like, this cage, and the cops are just there and throwing them, like, into the, the horde, <laughs> like, just trying to stop what's going on. Um, there's even a video of a store manager standing on a counter with a baseball bat yelling at customers to chill out. And he's, like, swinging it. It's, it's, it's just full-on so, panic. So back to the police officers throwing the dolls out of the cage. Would it not be smarter to use the authority that you have to set up a reasonable line and hand me... I would think line? so. I feel like by you tossing it into the crowd, you're actually going to cause more See, violence. There is there were practices put in place by like grocery stores to like form a line. <laughs> If you, if you would go to the meat counter to get meat, right. you pull the ticket, right. and then they called your number and you went to buy it. I'm not sure why they haven't figured this one out yet. Because it... It's, I don't know, actually. Yeah. In Syracuse, New York, a news report would call the frenzy the Cabbage Patch Massacre. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, there were people being crushed as the crowds began pushing them up against a closed door trying to get in the store. One woman would write... As I was lying on the floor being trampled and calling for help, I feared for my life. I arose stocking-footed, face bleeding, and knees badly bruised. So, like, um, some of the videos I've seen, and I think my mom and my aunt tried getting a Cabbage Patch doll for my <laughs> sister, and they saw the mob and just said, sorry. Nope. Nope. Not worth it. Nope. And, like, so... The mob would just wait at, like, the doors of the store to open, yeah. and they would open them, and then it was just, like, whoosh. Well, it's kind of like what you picture, like, in Black Friday movies when they like, yes. depict things like that. You know, like, you have this mob. Like, I know that's not how it actually happens. You don't have people, like, standing outside the door when it opens. It's just this, like, rush of people. I know that they're a little more organized than that, but, like, that's what you would imagine. The people that's that sad. had it worse, though, were the mall Santas. Because oh, no. all these kids were asking the mall Santas for a Cabbage Patch doll, and Santa had to try to figure out some way to tell them, you're probably not going to get one. <laughs> That's terrible. Santa didn't sign up for that. Uh, that was also the general fear parents had. Um, how do you tell your kid that's been good all year that Santa's run out of Cabbage Patch dolls? <laughs> uh, wow, so I can't. Christmas of 83 is really turning out to be a good one. Uh, once again, media was not helping out the situation by having nightly reports showing the madness and the dwindling supplies. Newsweek would say uh, it was as if an army had been turned loose on the nation's shopping malls, ravaging the ficus tree, sloshing through the fountains, searching for the legendary stockroom said to be filled with thousands of doe-faced, chinless, engagingly homely dolls. Cabbage Patch Mania had officially swept the country. I, I mean... I mean, this is always a problem. Like the the phrase, like yellow journalism. That's like we're mm -hmm. we're journalism. You know, 
takes something and then over-exaggerates it, which causes more panic, which in turn then gives them more of a story, which they can just keep doing which this. Which basically our media does. Right, but like this is, this is a prime example of this. Yes. You know? Cabbage Patch Mania, we're going to run out so that people go and get more. So that and they can just, turn around and Cabbage Patch Massacre so that people then like... It's this, uh, it's this continuous cycle with them. Of them producing their own stories. Yeah, for the most part. that's really what it is. By the end of Christmas, Coleco had sold more than three million dollars. Only three million. So that means they sold two in by the beginning so of October, and only a million, million after that. Oh yeah. Um, they would continue to withhold dolls though throughout the year to ensure demand would stay high. Well, that's. I mean, okay, yes, that's smart economically, but. They would even develop an accessory line for the dolls. This included lunch boxes, bikes, pajamas, and even a cereal. This would generate $2 billion alone in 1984. I wonder how many people bought the accessories first and then were like, all right, now we have to find the I think they didn't have the accessories until like 84. Okay. They're like, oh, now we can sell them more stuff because we know they have the dolls. So it kind of calmed down a little bit, but not like... Uh, There was even a Cabbage Patch Kids cartoon that I remember. It was kind of creepy. And there was a movie called Jingle All the Way. I think it was early 2000s, late 90s. Arnold Schwarzenegger. They're like fighting over a toy. It was loosely based off the rides. Of course. So that is the Cabbage Patch Rides of 1983. No way to get you in the holiday spirit more than people biting each other and strangling people with purses to get a doll. Poor Mall Santos. Yeah, they are the worst. I mean, it's already it's already bad enough to sit in the chair all day and handle children. Yes, like like what he like literally doing the same thing every day for hours, mm-hmm. um, especially like crying children. But to then have to tell children, I don't know if I can get that. <laughs> is the elves went on strike? <laughs> don't think they're producing enough. I wonder how many. I wonder if there's ever been like a mall Santa strike. I'm sure there has to be. I'm sure at some point in history, mall Santas have just been like, you know what? We're going on strike. I gotta ask my sister if she remembers. Because so. yeah, they. My mom and aunt went to go buy her a cabbage patch down. Obviously, she didn't get it. She did have one eventually, though. Oh yeah, because eventually you know they'll keep producing mm. it, but it backs off and more people buy them. But yeah. So. so there you go. A, a, a nice holiday lesson on economics. Thank you for joining us. We're going to take a couple of weeks off and enjoy our winter break. And we'll Please back. join us again in January. Thank you for tuning in to History Class After Hours, the show where we talk about the things your history teachers didn't have time to teach you. If you wanted to stay updated on upcoming events for the History Club, please visit www.starsmillhistoryc.wixsite.com forward slash 2020. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends and subscribe to our channel on iTunes Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be on the lookout for new episodes, and we'll be posting every week. Until next time, stay curious.